You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I've been running for 43 years, but I've only been racing since 2006 because I was always afraid to race because I wasn't sure if I'd be accepted. My name is Gail Henvel, and I live in the city of Boston. Uh, What many people don't know is that if you follow running, we are comprised of 23 neighborhoods, each having their own personality. So Boston just isn't a back bay, downtown Beacon Hill area. They're all our lovely communities. And I've ran through 22. And as you'll find out, Gail Henville hasn't run through the many neighborhoods of Boston just to see new scenery. Her running journey has purpose steeped in experience and a desire to make change. Hello and welcome to Strides Forward, where we share stories about running told by women. I'm Cherie Louise Turner, the host and producer of Strides Forward. And yes, in this episode, you're going to be hearing from Gail Henville. If you've listened to the Roads to Boston series, you'll recognize Gail's name because she coached Rochelle Solomon, who is one of our featured runners. While making the Roads to Boston series, I took the time to learn more about Gail, and it's what made me interested in telling her story on the podcast. I learned all about her running and how she's done over 100 running events from 5Ks to marathons, including four times at Boston. And I learned about her leadership work in the running community as a coach and a community builder. But it wasn't until I talked to Gail that I learned about how long the journey had been to get her to this place. In her words, there have been many life lessons learned. It's an incredible journey. And I'm going to leave it to her to tell you how it all went down. You know, so I love to call myself a tomboy wrapped in pink. I grew up in a Caribbean village in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I grew up on the mainland and the Grenadines are a chain of islands in the Caribbean. And my parents were ahead of their time. My mom is a nurse. My dad was was a math teacher and then was an engineer. My dad, uh, who had studied overseas and abroad, you know, typically in the Caribbean, it's a male-dominant household, right? And so my dad was very worldly and so just allowed us to be, you know, and challenge ourselves beyond the, uh, the four corners of our block, if you will. And so my dad also played cricket. And so I didn't know that I wanted to be a runner. I just knew that I loved pitching marbles and climbing trees and doing all things with the boys in my village, in my neighborhood. And uh, so he would take me with him when he played cricket. And one day we went and there were kids running and I, you know, they kept me entertained. And then I think on a third or so visit, my dad said to me, if you want to run, go run. So I kind of ran alongside him and it was pure joy because at the time it was a dirt track with the lanes marked in chalk and they held uh, I think they were doing some heats and uh, their finishing ribbon was really a rope right so those were the old school days when it was just about pure running and so the track coach 
asked me to join. And I did. And so at the age of eight is when I started and I pursued it and then ran the 60 meters and I was good at it. <laughs> I was beating, you know, everybody that I was running with, all the kids. We ran bare feet. And I think at that point, I uh, fell in love with running without knowing that I was falling in love with running. So my parents migrated first. So they wanted us to have the wealth of education on our side. And then, you know, when they became citizens and then we were able to get our green card, we uh, immigrated in 1983. So those of us that are immigrants have this ideal view of the United States as warm, welcoming, opening, free for all, land of honey and milk, if you will. Sadly, when we came to this country, I was 13, and so I was bullied um, because of my skin color and my accent. And so I withdrew um, from being a carefree child. We moved to the town of Natick, and so being one of the few Black families there, it was easily and readily pointed out to me that you can only be here. Natick was the first place where I was called the N-word, not shortly after I'd arrived. And, you know, all of a sudden, I was confined to this space. So I sat on the sidelines, discouraged, wounded, and afraid to try. Um, I wanted to have friends. No one wanted to be friends with me. I didn't feel included or invited. I was literally was scared. So, yeah, I felt confined to my space. Um, And it wasn't because I didn't desire or crave those things. I just did not feel included and I never felt safe or brave enough to venture out of that box. I never pursued track in high school. I don't have, I've had many startovers in my life, no regrets. I am pleased with the woman I am today. I love the woman that I've become, but the biggest regret of my life was not pursuing track when I went to Natick High School. Yes, the running never stopped. I just didn't compete. There's a difference. I'm a, you know, I'm a runner. And here's a, here's the thing for me, what running means to me, running is my hemoglobin. It's the oxygen. It had become a part of who I am. It is a part of who I am. And so my dad had the opportunity to see me run. My dad and my grandmother, my mom didn't because she migrated first, but she knew my love of running. And know nothing about running though, still doesn't really. She just knows that her, her daughters love to run. All her kids were runners, right? All three of us. In a Natick village, which is on Route 135, which is part of the Boston Marathon course. So back then, what we would do is go and set out our chairs and our space markers the night before and the sidewalk. And so uh, my mom had us drag stuff down for a space. And in 1984 is when I saw my first Boston Marathon. And I still don't know what it was. It was not a music. We were standing there all day. <laughs> all day watching this. Uh, my mom, I'm being honest my mom had done it a few years before. And um, so the back of the pack came by and the image that I have to this day is a gentleman with a backpack on and he had a straw from his backpack over his head into his mouth and it says beer. <laughs> and every costume you can imagine came by and all of a sudden I was like, this is kind of fun. So then somebody said it was a race. So I parked him, I said, oh, what kind of race is it? And they said, oh, it's the Boston Marathon. And I said, well, oh, what is the distance? And then they told me it's like 42 kilometers. I'm like, whoa, 
I could only run 60 meters, but my curiosity was piqued. So I started running. I'd actually run walk to work because I couldn't do distance. It hurt to go distance. So I worked about a mile and a half from my home. So I was curious. I kind of run walk to and from work. We didn't, you know, my parents had one car. So I wanted to try this out to see, hey, can I do this too? And uh, it's hard when you convert from um, sprinting to endurance for long, right? And so it was, it was a struggle for me. So I ran walk, but I did it out of just because I wanted to see in a bit of stubbornness. And I was 14, right? So there was that, that young ego, right, <laughs> propelling me on. Yeah, so, you know, um, I was aware of races. I read about races. I saw them on television and, you know, I watched their marathon with my mom. And and so it's what I've won, because it's the next thing, right? Running to me is this, well, was part of training process I was just afraid that I wouldn't be accepted and I didn't see people that look like me outside of the Africans and so the thing is that I also retain my sprinter's physique where I still lift and strength train so I didn't look like a long distance runner I'm still told many times that I don't look like a marathoner I still have my sprinter's physique on my butt my legs which I'm very proud of those are your powerhouses right but, you know, uh, people do shame you about your image. And so I felt a shame of my body. I, I had never been one that's hung up on body images in the Caribbean where really free people or carnivals and such demonstrates that. But here in this country, I was kind of made to feel ashamed of what I look like. Um, you know, my butt was too big. My thighs were too muscular and so on. So I hid. I always wore, I always went out with a sweatshirt tied around my waist, no matter the weather, to kind of hide my butt. You know, I salute running skirts when it came <laughs> into the market because now I can pretty much hide a lot to mid-thigh, if you will. And that's how I was made to feel. So it wasn't that I was afraid to run. It was I was afraid, I was ashamed of my body. And then because I had been limited or confined to a space because of my color, I wasn't sure if I'd be accepted. So my sister and my brother are also sprinters, runners, and so we're all athletes. And so when I had my daughter 32 years ago, I literally ate for two, so I gained 60 pounds. <laughs> so back then, in the Caribbean, we don't really diet, <laughs> if you will. So I ate for two, and then your family's always feeding you, so I ate for two. And I had my baby, she was seven pounds, nine ounces, and I lost about 30 pounds, and the other, I was struggling to lose. And my sister rearranged my focus to this. And she said, you know, I was lamenting to her and complaining. I think she was sick of me. And she said, go run at Franklin Park. And for those who know Franklin Park, it's a great space here in Boston that is open. It's a public space, really. And it has tons of acres of trails and running paths and everything you can think of. And so I started there only again out of having the ego of not wanting to be overweight and wanting to return to my former self. And I struggled mightily, again, because I didn't know how to rein in my pace or pace myself. I only knew how to go right out the gate shotgun. So I had on a pair of kid, cheap kid sneakers or pretend kids, as my daughter would call them from Kmart. Baggy, no nondescript sweats and a t-shirt. And I had a digital watch. I always wore a cheap 999 digital watch, um, regardless of what I was running or not. 
And that was it. That's how I timed myself. And I just continued to do it. And it was just me, air and simple gifts. And next thing you know, I was doing the full 2.39 miles loop around. And some of my best times to run Franklin Park was after good soaking rain and they had cut the grass. And so I carried that scent with me. That was my aromatherapy for always wanting to go back to that space. And um, so I continued running. I continued running Franklin Park and then I continued running from home up to Franklin Park and I continued running different distances through a city as my endurance grew. And uh, I fell in love with long distance running um, before I knew I wanted to become a long distance and a road runner. And so in, in, in 2006, a co-worker introduced me to the Doyle's Road Race. She heard that I was running through the city and, and saw me running home from work. And she said, oh, there's an 8K in the neighborhood. You know, do you want to come and do it? Um, I said, sure. And so I went, ran the race. And so I unknowingly, I had become somebody's rabbit. <laughs> I didn't even know what that was. So he tapped me and said, thank you for pulling me through. But then everybody was applauding me coming through the finishing shoot. I felt like a superstar. So they weren't, you know, everybody that came through was applauding. I remember, you know, the drummers um, before the finish line, they were lifting their hands up in the air, like, pick up your pace, pick up your pace. Because I slowed down to listen to the drum. I didn't even know what that was all about. I didn't know how to behave when a finishing shoot, you know, I was so green. And it was my blowing to me and then have men and women tell me oh I love your legs you got some great quads and I was just like wow I can't say how freeing that was for me and then I just wanted more (laughs) so I felt powerful I felt so woman you know, because if, if folks look at my photo, they'll see that I'm muscular and angular. And um, for years, I'd felt really inferior that I didn't look womanly enough. Um, so, you know, I joke about, you know, um, shopping in their Target's kids department for my brassieres because I, you know, I didn't have the image. I didn't have a Jessica Rabbit body or any of those things, right? Um, growing up. And then, you know, I am a tomboy wrapped in pink. I love my heels and stilettos, but I still hang out with the guys, if you will. That's my safe space. I, I think because, again, I didn't feel accepted by women. And so that was my safe space to be. And so um, the transition for me now is I started to love myself a lot more. I started to accept every flaw that people have pointed out. I call myself an angel with a dim halo and a broken wing, but I'm still perfect. And so these big quads, I love being in the weight room. Uh, sometimes I love being the only woman in the, in the weight room and I celebrate that. Uh, I celebrate everything about my body daily. When I go out to run, I do do affirmations. I say, hey, thank you, quads. Thank you, lungs. Thank you, big butt. Thank you, my caboose. Thank you, my calves. You know, my calves were made fun of because they were big, but then I realized men get implants for my calves. So, <laughs> um, And so this confidence that came from running has also blossomed in my confidence about in my workspace, my personal space. And so, yeah, running transitions 
and you know every aspect of one life it's a very rewarding sport i find and so when i went to train uh 2011 for boston i uh, i say i train on the course intentionally and i still do to this very day um i think if you're running a boston course you train on it, it can prepare you for any kind of race right it's it's not a hard coast but it's very strategic mentally in nature I, again, I had trepidations about being the only person of color out there training, going through some of these spaces where I had not been accepted and received prior uh, in my early years, right? And um, I got high fives in the course. <laughs> I got cheered on. Uh, you know, it, it was just amazing to me. Uh, I think one day there was a snow, it snowed, and um I saw this person shoveling, this gentleman shoveling this skinny path for us. He held up his hand. Uh, I had gotten ready to run onto Route 30, looked behind my shoulder, see there was a car, and had jumped in the road. And he held up his hand and says, no, wait a minute. And he literally hustled over and shoveled a little path for me to continue on. Um, there's so many great stories of um, running, you know, through the neighborhoods of Boston. I got to um, Camel Square, uh, right before the sicko sign and was and I was struggling and a cyclist literally stopped and goes, come on, come on, <laughs> don't give in. <laughs> and he's like, you're almost there. I'm like, I heard it once too many times. So come on, come on. I'm stopping with you. You know, stories, um, just wonderful, wonderful experiences. I have ran every race there is that have been the widest race to, uh, and still there is, isn't a great population of black runners in all of the race. There's more now, but I go back and look at some of the old photos from the BA half and there's probably like seven of us, including the Africans, right? I honestly, I would love to hear each individual experience, but I have yet to experience a race where I felt that I was not included or welcome. And I, I'm talking, I've ran some races where there was just a handful of people from 50. I don't like carnival races. I look, although I run marathons, um, except for Boston and Chicago is my biggest marathon. I like a thousand person or less race, right? I've gone to run races in the deepest recess where there are no black people around. And I, I didn't hesitate to run that race because of how, again, I've felt and been included in all of the races and events that I've ran, even a half, the half Ironman relay. I think sometimes, you know, folks will look at that and say, well, there aren't any of us, why go? Well, why not go? Um, you know, I challenge people when I say that running is a very inclusive sport. You will all just run as nobody cares, right? We're all just, the only thing we care about is beating out of the person to the finish line. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, people, we compliment each other. I said, hey, sis, where'd you get your running skirt from? You know, or they, you're from Boston. Is it true what they say about Boston? Running connects people. And so, yeah, um, you know, so for my racing, um, I, I don't do ordinary races. And what I mean is I look for races that may be full of hills or the one where I ran at midnight, uh, high elevation in Nevada, six miles up a mountain, seven miles down. I, you know, as an athlete, I've been running for such a long time that I'm now at the age of 52. I'm looking for the next 
challenge that will push my athleticism. So I try to find things, you know, uh, the Wachusett Mountain Road Race, where you go up on the mountain and come down, you know, on a trail and things like that. So I look for races that's going to push me. You can say that I'm a adrenaline junkie in my own space. So I was never me about uh, all my medals. I don't know where they are. They're in a box somewhere. I don't know. I have one Boston jacket. I've ran four. Um, none of that is important to me. What's important to me is me winning against myself in these challenges. Um, you know, I often say there's a difference between a runner and a racer. Um, for me, running is the hemoglobin and the oxygen in my blood, right? As I mentioned, uh, lacing up and becoming one with the road and just getting lost in nature and everything else, air and simple gifts. And so I was never about um, chasing a medal or, you know, any, you know, if I PR, wonderful, right? We all, that's, that is the objective, right? But I don't beat myself if I don't because I'm still running, right? Racing just makes you a competitor. And I compete with myself every single time. So for me, the next, uh, I will say lifetime, (laughs) my racing journey is just to pursue things that are going to just challenge my athleticism and bring all my wisdom and experience along for the ride. Yeah, it's fair to say when I, the first time I was called the N-word, I went home uh, I so I didn't know what it what, what it meant because I was new to this country, right? I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it was something bad because the other girls were laughing. And so having been made fun of by my accent, and they were laughing at me, and it, it hurt. The second time, I was a cashier at Stop and Shop, and I bagged somebody's soda water. Apparently, I bagged them the wrong way, and they get upset at that, and then call me the same thing, and I. I said it to my manager and he told me instead of, you know, um, supporting me, he told me to take off my apron and go upstairs. I took off my apron and I left and I walked home and I cried to my mom at the trunk of the bed on her bed. And she said to me, hush up and is not your name. Your father and I named you Gail. And I was mad. I was so mad at her. Like, really, mom? Years later, though, I was in Framingham Stop and Shop and I backed narrow aisles. I was back in my, I did look to my left and right, nobody, and I backed my car up trying to turn around, let somebody pass, backed into this other woman, and she called me the N-word. So I turned to her and said, that's not my name. My name is Gail. And I rolled on. And that's when I realized the power that my mother in her own way, right? She's trying to tell me, don't ever empower somebody else's belief of who you are. And so even though this was a racial issue for me, the lesson is for everybody, right? So for girls, for the young girls who want to become, but are still full of self-doubt or for those who are suppressing your greatness, don't empower, don't let them don't give them that power. And for the for those of us of my age who straddling the fence, who are afraid of what in my clients, when I coach say, well, I didn't want to run because I'm overweight. I don't want people to look at me. I don't, you know, I said, everybody has a start. Forget them. They're in their car. They're on the couch, right? We all have a start. Don't, if you're straddling the fence, just take a leap over. Everybody has a start. It's okay where your start is. Uh, don't compare yourself to anybody else. This is your personal journey. And don't let anybody take that power away from you from being your own greatness. There's a 
world of information out there and a great supportive family when it comes to running. We love to talk. <laughs> so, so, you know, reach out to any one of us and ask questions and be prepared. <laughs> yeah, be prepared for our stories. Yeah, don't do what I did. Let the voices in your head prevent you from being a part of this wonderful, accepting and loving movement. I love coaching women my age who are kind of struggling, who has a lot of self-doubt. I feel that they appreciate my experience and wisdom more. My first client was not really a client. It wasn't until the end she paid me that I realized she was my client. It was my hairdresser who wanted to lose 30 pounds for her birthday as a hairdresser. She works on her feet all day, doesn't eat properly. So she went up to 190 pounds. Um, and so, you know, she wanted to run and I kind of dismissed it. And I said, okay, we'll find your 3K. And I said, okay, go out and run Franklin Park and let me know. Come back to me in a month. So she goes out and she runs, she runs Franklin Park unbeknownst to me. And then she comes back and she found the Doyle's Road Race and she says she wanted to sign up for it. I'm like, you just started running. This is a little much. <laughs> but she was insistent. I'm like, okay. So I created a plan for her and then we told, you know, did some nutritional things, bring, you know, bag and prepare food and whatnot. And so um, she started training in January. She had lost uh, about 20 pounds when it came by March. By the Doyle's race, she had lost all her weight, and I gave her an hour and 15 minutes to finish the 8K, and she did it in an hour and five minutes. And I was floored. I had done group coaching working with the homeless veterans, but individual coaching, this was a first for me. And then at the end, she handed me a $100 gift card. And I was like, I got paid for this. And so began Gail's coaching career, a pursuit that has continued to grow as the opportunities have presented themselves. And sometimes those have come in very unexpected ways. I was running, I was doing a long run for Chicago and saw a road race with all black people. And I was blown. <laughs> so I jumped over, I just look at my long run. I jumped over and I asked, I said, hey, um, what's the registration fee? Can you take credit cards? And I said, it was free. I'm like, whoa. So uh, I went and I jumped in. It was a race that I was starting by Thaddeus Miles to address. We are here with the founder and you developed this race, Thaddeus. Did you come up with this? Moving, so we started running and I thought about this community where the life expectancy here in this community is 58 and you go to the back bay, which is less than a mile, the life expectancy is 91. Right, right. And so what's the differences and what can I do? Mm-hmm. And what can I do that's not gonna cost us a ton of money, but to be able to get people together. And I looked at all these 5K races that were taking place. None were taking place here in Roxbury. Yep, yep. So I just decided I want to do the first one here in Roxbury. And it was the first Health one. Issues in the running community. And all of us who run know that running is one of the best forces you can have that allows immediate results in terms of dialing down whatever obesity numbers or health issue numbers that you have, right? And so that was Thaddeus's mission, Thaddeus's miles. I ran, ran the race and said to him, I'm a marathoner and running coach. Use me however you desire. Three months later, I got a call saying that we have this, we're putting together this wonderful race. Would like to hear your input as a runner, as a marathoner, and a member of the community. Went and 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 they was part of the um, host committee, forty two of us, and the BA was part of it. And so they created this wonderful five k. 
uh, for Boston. It's called the Road to Wellness 5K. So I said, excellent. This is great. Um, we wanted people of color, we wanted to have more people of color pulled into road racing uh, for the sake of just being healthy. It was not going to be a competitive race. And so we wanted to bring our community along. And then so I said to the BA, well, okay, you know, if you build it, how will they come? You know, we're going to offer free registration and all of that, bells and whistles, but how would you get them interested in a BA? I said, we'll offer them, you know, training courses like we do. And I said, that's great. I've attended some. Then they said, well, you coach. And I said, no, <laughs> I'm training for Chicago. I don't have the time for this. And I came home and it wouldn't escape me though. So I signed up <laughs> to be a volunteer coach, volunteer. And I'd go out and do my long runs at three, four o'clock in the morning. And I'll come at nine o'clock and, you know, uh, coach uh, all the participants that showed up. And then seven years later, here we are. I'm the head coach for this wonderful race. We are a family, a community. There is absolutely no negative, any negative behavior allowed in terms of pace, shaming, body shaming, any of those things. We focus on mental and physical abilities, mental wellness. So I create our training plans and our training plans are incremental. We build them block by block. We have coaches. I have hired four coaches to help me from the front of the pack. If you want to run a five, six minute mile to walkers who do the Jeff Galloway method. I do the middle of the pack. So my coaches are Olympians to uh, USA Track and Field Masters. <laughs> We're all uh, certified and we offer free coaching to our community. And so anybody that wants to come, all races, genders, sizes, from kids to adults, mom, dad, grandparents, they all show up and uh, from June to August and train with us and run with us and have a great time doing so and um, some have lost tremendous weight, some have PR'd, some have gone on to run other distances. And so it's been really great way to bring awareness to a community and the longevity of this, this wonderful event. Gail's love of running and racing and her ability to coach, motivate, and build community across the diverse spectrum of runners in the Boston area is well known. So when the Boston Athletic Association decided to hold a shakeout run before the 2021 Boston Marathon, and they were looking for somebody to lead it, they knew exactly who to call. So the BA had a shakeout run, their very first ever, and they asked me to lead it. And last October and Marathon Sunday. Hi, my name is Suzanne Wansley, and I'm the Director of Youth and Community Engagement for the Boston Athletic Association. So the BAA has been very fortunate to have had a relationship with Gail for the past seven years. And we we're actually introduced to her through the Road to Wellness 5K. So as she mentioned, it was the first year that the BAA was looking to do shakeout runs. Um, part of the objective around that was to invite more people in the community to come and take part during Marathon Weekend. As the head coach of the Road to Wellness 5K and as someone who knows the city from a runner's perspective, we thought she would be the perfect person to lead the shakeout run. So when we reached out, we had said to her that we wanted her to pick the route and determine where she thought would be a great place for runners to see. So what I did is I took them away from Back Bay. I took them along the Southwest Corridor so people can see other aspects of my community. The corridor itself brings us by a number of historical locations. And um, so we were actually really excited about the route that she chose and the history that she wanted to share about Boston and about running in Boston. 
So I know, you know, she did go down to Roxbury Crossing and um, over to the Reggie Lewis Track and Athletic Center, which is has been in the community for quite some time and, and named after um, the Celt- former Celtics player, Reggie Lewis. And um, and then the Southwest Corridor, that's a historical piece because most people don't know that that was originally slated to be a highway that would run through the city and cut through those neighborhoods. But the community really... Um, activated around pushing back on it. And so as a result, they got this beautiful corridor for running and biking and walking instead of a highway that would cut through their neighborhoods. So I want people to know that there's more to Boston than just the marathon that ends here. And that is just more than um, Back Bay, downtown and Beacon. And I also want them to know that there are many of us people of color and everybody else in between that's um, that running, running. Boston has a huge running community it has nothing to do with the Boston Marathon. And any given day, you'll see us all out and about um, at various paths around um, our Boston neighborhoods. We have a plethora of running paths, spaces, you know, it's just a beautiful place to run. I never get bored. I can run the same path twice and never get bored. I get kids waving to me on the school buses. Sometimes I race an NBT bus if I have a speed work or fart legs. Or, you know, oftentimes I see other women like myself who are looking at me. You know, I tell you the story about running home one day and I saw a woman, um, you know, as a traffic light. She was looking at me and I sensed her gaze. I looked back and she pulled back and I waved to her because I wanted her to know, listen, I'm, I've been on the streets for 32 years by myself. I need you to come and join me. You know, there's a run in everybody. And um, the greatness about the city of Boston and all it has to offer is that you see everybody out there, but I still feel that there's so much work left to be done um, to bring others along, particularly women of color. And so that's why I make my way through different neighborhoods so that I can be seen. You know, with regard to Gail, um, through her connections with the Road to Wellness, she was already known in the city because people had seen her running um, and people knew her as a runner. Um, but as she's taken over this role as the head coach for the Road to Wellness 5K and she's worked with other groups, she is really widely recognized and very much appreciated uh, for her expertise in coaching and for the um, passion she brings to it. And she does it not as much, in addition to helping people with their performances, she also really uses running as a tool for empowerment and for people to um, to set goals and accomplish them. And so she is a force in the city and uh, her reputation precedes her as someone who does an amazing job uh, working with athletes and as a runner herself. So I wanna to say to every runner and every woman, a lot of life lessons learned to be where I am today, right? So I'm not being an elitist. I, I learned um, along the way is to not let anybody dismantle your emotional and mental barrier. Don't give in to other noises at all. Be gentle with yourself. Be very human. And the things that we conjure up in our head are just that. They make belief. So don't buy into them. So I bought into a lot of things in my head. And I tell people um, who you know want to run and has a lot of self-doubt. I said, we all have a start, right? And so look to the greats. I look to the greats like Jeff Galloway, Dina Castor, Joan Benoit, to Ryan Hall. All of them have lessons learned. So all of these people I've read and looked to for lessons on how I can become a better runner. 
that in part have made me a better human. And so, for instance, Joan Bonite told me it was okay to be gentle with myself. She said that if I go out for a 10K run at this pace and I go out, my body said, not today. I listen to my body and I dial back because tomorrow's a new day. It is okay to not crush everything. So it's important all the lessons learned to be gentle with yourself. It is okay to be where you are in that space and enjoy the moment. Be gentle with yourself and enjoy the moment. It is a simple and oh-so-powerful message, and it is one that I carry with me regularly. I had it out there on the course at the Boston Marathon this year. So for that, I want to thank Gail, and I also want to thank her for sharing her story and for sharing her wisdom. I also want to thank Gail for her work in making the running community better and stronger by bringing people together and bringing new people into the sport. Gail continues to challenge herself as a runner and inspire others to do the same. She returned this year to lead a Boston Marathon shakeout run for the BAA over Marathon Weekend, and she will once again be head coach for this year's Road to Wellness 5K, which happens on Saturday, September 10th. Please see the show notes for information about the Road to Wellness, as well as how to keep up with Gail on social media. I also want to thank Suzanne Walmsley for being a part of this episode and also the How Was Your Run Today podcast for letting us use audio from their August 26th, 2021 episode about the road to wellness. It is episode 235, and I encourage you to have a listen. In addition to a really great interview with Thaddeus Miles, there is also a really great interview with Gail. There'll be a link in the show notes as well for that. As always, thank you for listening. We love sharing these stories, but we could not do it without you. Also, you listening and sharing the podcast is how we grow. Please hit the subscribe button and please share the podcast with your friends. I'd love for these stories to inspire and inform as many people as possible. And word of mouth is a tremendous gift to us on that mission. Thank you. I also welcome you to visit our website, stridesforwardpodcast.com. And we're active on social media on Instagram and Twitter at stridesforward. It is our handle in both places. And I do not make these shows by myself. Cormac O'Regan, who I just got to visit in Cork, Ireland, does all of the original music and he does the sound design for every single episode. All the sounds you hear that aren't me or a guest talking, that's Cormac. And yes, he does it from his studio in Cork, Ireland. April Mariner of Bonfire Collaborative does all the design work for the show, including the website, merch, logo, and all the social media. April comes to you from Truckee, California, and you can find her at bonfirecollaborative.com. As always, I am Cherie Louise Turner, your host and producer, and I am once again coming to you from my closet in Somerville, Massachusetts. Thank you so much again for listening, and until next time, we all wish you many healthy, joyful strides forward. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. 
We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.